Today, I would like to invite you to reach forward if you don't have your personal Bible and to take the Bible from the pew and um, Proverbs chapter 8 is somewhere in there. Last time I looked. Anybody gets it there before me, shout out the page number. 631. The reason I do that is because I'm not like Ray. I'm not really technically advanced. And I'm not able to put up wonderful visuals all over the screen. And so I like to just direct you to the Word of God. It's right here. And so I'll be making reference to different passages. And I invite you to be there with me as we do this. It's a long proverb. And when I told Pastor Ray I was going to preach Proverbs 8, he says, well, what portion of it? And I said, the whole thing. And uh, he just was quiet. And, uh, and then when I started doing exegesis, I, I found out really why he was quiet. <laughs> it's, it, it, was, it was a long slog. But anyways, um, today we are going to go through the proverb, but I'm going to be... Um, Focusing pretty much on one section, and I'll tell you about that. But, you know, the reason I went with Proverbs is years ago, a friend of mine um, told me that he routinely read through the book of Proverbs, one chapter each day. He said, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and there are 31 days in a month. So since then, periodically, for two or three months at a time, I have done just that. And it's a good thing to do. But the passages must be read carefully, taking the time to consider how the teaching applies to your life. If you read through Proverbs very quickly, you're going to lose a lot. A well-known pastor from New York named Tim Keller calls Proverbs the God's wisdom for navigating life, and I agree. He also writes that One of the main messages of Proverbs is you never really thought enough about anything. It's a very interesting way of putting it. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs focuses on understanding and applying God's wisdom in our lives. But chapter 8 stands out alone from the other wisdom chapters. Here, wisdom is personified and calls out. The book of Proverbs, like Psalms, falls into a literary genre of ancient Near Eastern poetry. One of the features of Hebrew poetry is the use of vivid imagery. An example of this is found in Proverbs chapter 10. Solomon writes, A lazy employee is like vinegar to the teeth. As a former business owner, I totally get that one. (laughs) Another feature of Hebrew, I want to say human, Hebrew poetry is the use of personification. Whenever a poet attributes a human quality to something inanimate, he or she uses personification. A few biblical examples of these are in Genesis, where God says sin is crouching at your door. 
And in James, he writes, Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. These are examples of personification of inanimate things like sin and, well, sin. (laughs) All of Proverbs 8 uses poetic personalization to illustrate the majesty of God's divine attribute, wisdom. In this poem... God as wisdom is calling out to his people. Directing our attention to his teachings, to his love, and to a commitment to righteous living. For followers of Jesus, this poem is also a beautiful exposition of his love for and his joy in creation. Wisdom clearly displays the magnificence of God's creation in contrast to creation marred by sin. Looking at verses 1 through 3, it starts out, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, She cries aloud. You know, honest people admit that they are often tempted to sin. Should I do this or not? This dilemma is what is meant in verse 2, where the two paths cross. Should I do this or not? Honest people will also admit that they have acted on temptation, committing sin. So what happens in these situations? At the point of temptation, something tells you, hey, run away, don't do it. You sense this because as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you speaking. The proverb starts out with the question, does not wisdom call out? But you know, as I was studying, I was studying the Hebrew Bible and uh, Hebrew, the Jewish tr- translation of the Hebrew Bible, and this is what they say. They say, it's wisdom calling. You know, it's annoying sometimes. Because you may really want to act on temptation, but then God shows up calling you out. It's wisdom calling. And you know deep down you need to listen to him. As we look at verses 4 through 5, Scripture reads, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Set your hearts on it. We can see that wisdom does not just call out to certain people. Wisdom calls is universal to all people. To you, O people, I call out. This call from God to all people is found throughout Scripture. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. The lesson here is we must never consider anyone, family or friend, outside and hopelessly apart from God. 
As people of faith, our attitude must always be that they have not come to God yet. But for people to come to God, they must want to search scriptures. That's what's meant in verse 5 by you need to set your hearts on it. You need to have a desire to really want to know God and to seek him. Reading verse 6 through 11, Solomon writes, Listen, for I had trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All of the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire compare with her. So wisdom here claims that all scripture is trustworthy, right, true, and just. And in verse 6, he says, listen because of this. Listen. The Hebrew phrase in verse 9, where wisdom's words, wisdom says his words are upright, he says, to those who have found knowledge. That, that phrase, those who have found knowledge, refers to people who seek wisdom and then submit and commit themselves to her teachings. So when a new disciple, a new believer says, I'm committed to learning and knowing about God, they are one of these people who have found knowledge because it's inescapable. They need to have it. They want to find it. But this does not come naturally to everyone. They need to make a conscious choice to do this. Wisdom commands God's people to do just that. He says, choose my instructions instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. What he's saying is your life should be dependent on searching out God in Scripture, knowing of God, and not going off after the money of the world and the fame of the world and the riches of the world. That the wisdom of God found in Scripture is so much more than that. Look at verses 12 through 21. Wisdom justifies her command to choose her instruction. She writes, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me, kings reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern, and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. 
There's great value in studying all of these verses. And I encourage you to go back this week and review what I just read. But in a Romans passage, Paul sums it up beautifully. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. In other words, we will spend the rest of our lives growing in our knowledge and growing in our love for God. I like verse 17. Wisdom declares, I love those who love me and seek, and those who seek me find me. I find this to be one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture. You see, no one is left out of God's love, and, they will, and if they will earnestly seek him, they will find him. And truth seekers will come to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the power of Scripture, they will come to a saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can't not if they earnestly seek God in Scripture. Moving to verses 22 through 31, we'll spend a little more time on this pas- these passages. Read along with me. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. These passages stand out as different from the other passages in this chapter. Here, wisdom beautifully reveals her identity as a strategic presence and a cooperative in creation. She writes an autobiography of her role in creation. Now, Ray is just finishing a series called Miracles and Controversies. These verses that I just read fall into this. Of course, the miracle is the majesty and the wonder of God creating the heavens and the earth, including all the creatures plant life, and finally mankind. Reading these verses, I think of the Genesis passage where we read, God saw all, saw all that he made, and it was very good. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. Paul in his letter to the Romans establishes that the majesty of God's creation is universally obvious. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And wisdom here in this chapter says, I was filled with delight and joy, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So beautiful. All of us can give some examples of how we marvel at God's creation, right? For me, hands down, it is the miracle of my four children and my grandchildren after them. Some people may say they marvel at the majestic display of the huge universe that they look out in the skies. But the miracle of creation can be enjoyed viewing some of the smallest things. I had a slide that I was hoping to have on, but technically I'm not good at it. It's not up on screen. But if you saw it, what it was, and, you, and if you are, get my Facebook account, you can find it. But it's a picture of a human cell. One human cell. And the, and the uh, details of the cell are amazing. It's a tiny little cell, but it is expanded up, and it shows all of the parts of the cell. And the wonderful thing is, is that within that one cell is the same kind of activity that we see in the universe in one cell, one of our cells. And if you can't see God and understand that God created that, well, you can't see anything. <laughs> it's just that way. It's amazing. So God, in all his vast array, is the miracle of God. So, but then what is the controversy here? As you read and or listen to wisdom speaking, what comes to your mind as wisdom is talking about her being birthed and brought into existence and being alongside the, the Lord as a craftsman through creation. What comes to your mind? Did Jesus come to your mind? If so, it's because these passages are incredi- incredibly Christological. But do you have questions like, well, why is wisdom referred to as a woman? And what does it mean that wisdom was born or given birth? Is wisdom an Old Testament portrayal of our Lord Jesus Christ? And if wisdom is Jesus, is Jesus a created being? That is not eternally one in Trinity with the Father and the Holy Spirit? Also, for people of the Jewish faith, who or what is wisdom to them? These questions are important. And you know what? These questions have been debated for centuries. To come to a decision on these questions, two considerations need to be understood. The first consideration involves the literary genre of this proverb. 
I spoke of this earlier. The book of Proverbs is written in the genre of ancient Near Eastern poetry. And chapter 8 uses a poetic structure called personification. To you, O people, I, I call out. Wisdom calls out. In Genesis 4, this poetic structure is when God says, Abel's blood cries from the ground. The personification of wisdom is unique to the book of Proverbs in, chapter, in all of chapters 1 through 9. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hachma. And hachma in the Hebrew language is a feminine noun. So constantly, when we're going to translate a feminine noun into English, we're going to use a feminine genre, a feminine identity. And that is why wisdom is she. In the next chapter, this same wisdom, lady wisdom, is contrasted with another wisdom, another lady, and that is the unruly uh, woman folly. So that's how the genre of poetry in Hebrew language works. So the first consideration is to need to understand how poetry poetic literary structure may be confusing and, and to lead to unintended conclusions. That is, personification does not mean that wisdom is a created being. The second consideration involves misunderstandings which can develop from translation. The English NIV text which we use here in verses 22 through 25, may cause one to think wisdom is a created being. Look at 22 through 25. The Lord brought me forth. I was formed long ago. I was given birth. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Faith systems, like the Jehovah's Witness, and the Mormon faith, they use these passages to support their theology. You see, it's important to point out this because people can be easily confused with English translations here. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that um, Jesus was created. He is not one with God. And so when we look at the original Hebrew words defined in Hebrew lexicon, definitions can give us a clear, more vivid look at what is written here about wisdom. And now I'd like you to really look at the passages in verses 22 to 25 with me. Look at the verses in, in your scripture. 22 says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. Well, Studying the Hebrew language and looking at the Hebrew lexicon, it is better understood to read, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his works. Verse 23. I was formed long ago, at the, beginning of, at the very beginning when the world came to be. 
a better understanding of that through the, through the lexicon is I was installed long ages ago at the very beginning. Verse 24, where we hear the word birth, I was given birth. A better understanding of that is when there were no watery depths, I was acquired. These are words right out of the Hebrew lexicon. Verse 25, where it says, Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Again, this is the Hebrew word kana. Before the hills, I was brought forth. Jewish scholars understand these translation issues and acknowledge wisdom to not have been created. Rather, they see wisdom as a key instrument of God in creation. What key instrument do this Jewish faith see wisdom as? The Jewish faith sees wisdom as the Torah. And it was the Torah that came along, alongside God, and was used as a craftsman in creation. That's their understanding. So then we return to our question, well, who or what is wisdom? For followers of Jesus, wisdom is not some separate, created, divine, feminine being. Wisdom is not, also not the created Son of God, subordinate to the God the Father. Wisdom should also not be regarded as God, but as belonging to God. It is one of his attributes. I did want to have a slide that didn't show up, and I, it would have looked like this on screen. And what it is, is a biblical definition of who is God. And it says, God is spirit, on the left-hand side here. God is spirit who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. God is spirit. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In these other, he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In all of these attributes, he is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, and his truth. And all of who God is is glory. And love God as love is encapsulated in all of this. In all of these attributes of God, love shines forth. It's a very good, good definition of God. And so here we see, though, wisdom is an attribute of God. Rather than understanding wisdom as God or a created being, Jesus, we biblically view God as having his divine attribute of wisdom made freely available to all of his people through scripture. Not wisdom as God, but rather God's glory displayed through his divine attribute of wisdom. Jesus is not a created being who, with God, created all things. Jesus is the eternal Lord of creation that we read of in the Gospel of John. 
where John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as conclusion, a wonderful gift for believers is that the Spirit of God within us gives us access to this wonderful gift and attribute of God, wisdom. Jesus tells us himself in Luke, he says, For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. James writes, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. With this in mind, I ask you to take a look at the last few passages in this proverb, beginning in number 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Verse 34, 33. Listen to my instructions and be wise. 34. Blessed are those who listen to me. Listen. 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 Reminds me of Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? There's a payoff. Verse 35. For those who find me, find life, and receive favor from the Lord. My encouragement for you is to always look at Scripture, to pull from Scripture the wisdom to live our lives. And to go forward, loving God and sharing that love with others. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to have Scripture and to have the truths of Scripture here always with us. And that we can slow down and read Scripture and pray to you and talk to you and be um, brought to a fuller knowledge of you. And not only that, brought to a state of love that we don't have, a higher state, day after day. I pray, Lord, that you help us go through the week coming up and that we, if we haven't been in Scripture on a regular basis, that we will do so and that we will encourage people also and to be your people in your kingdom. In Christ's name I pray, amen.